What's up, everybody? March 30, 2022, podcast episode 2, season 1. Today, we will be hitting on a few topics. Uh, let me just run through what you guys are going to be listening to today. Usyk versus Joshua location. Gilberto Ramirez calls out Ilangu Makabu at Cruiserweight. Cal Borg demands $10 million to face Conor Ben. We'll also be discussing who had... The best undisputed run out of the four guys who won in the four belt era. A lot of talk is happening on Twitter between Usyk, Canelo, Crawford, Taylor. I got a specific opinion, but we'll go into detail when we get there. Also, boxer promoter Ben Shalom has put a huge offer to Danny Garcia to face Kel Brook. Yannibak Ali Muhanalai finally gets his chance at a title shot. He will face, uh, I'm not really sure what his name is, Dangum for the WBO interim title. And Nwini Inoue gets his rematch against Nanito Donier. Or you could say the other way around. He's going to be defending his titles. Or unifying his titles, excuse me, against Nanito Donier in a rematch. So that's what we're going to round up today. Now, without further ado, let's start. So, what's going on with the speculation online is, is that. Anthony Joshua will challenge Alexander Usyk for the second time. The targeted date is June 25. Alexander Usyk has managed to get out of Ukraine. Prayers to people of Ukraine. And he wants to fight Usyk outside of the UK. Speculation is he believes that Usyk will have a huge support inside the UK. More than he will. Because as you guys all know, politically right now, in the West, in Europe, in the United States, people are going to be on Ukraine's side even more than their own country's side right now. If you know what I mean. People are going to be supporting Ukraine at a very high level. So Anthony Joshua, speculation is he wants to leave the UK. The UK. He will be going to fight in Saudi Arabia again. He fought... And you read inside wherever the rematch, and he's looking to fight there again. Especially as it is that they've been offered a north of over 90 million pounds to face Usyk for the Usyk Joshua rematch. That's a lot of money, but also, I have one question. This is a political question, and I like to keep politics out of this channel, but would it be acceptable if. They were offered the same amount of money to go fight in Russia while Russia is illegally occupying. What's it called? Uh, the Ukraine? Obviously, it would not be politically correct. It wouldn't even be humanely correct, right? I hope we agree on this. So, my question is why should it be politically correct to fight inside Arabia while they also occupy a country illegally? They're huge famine happening in Yemen. Lots of people are dying. Why is there a double standard? I fully support the boycott against fighting in Russia. But I hope the boycott enters other places. Even if they are aligned with the West. Illegal occupation needs to stop everywhere. Just my point. So, now let's end the political statements and let's go back talking about the fight itself. Usyk 
he's going to be obviously motivated to get a huge win for his country. Anthony Joshua is going to be motivated because he probably feels that his career is on the line this time around. And he's, he's probably right. He can't afford to have three losses in his last five fights and two losses back-to-back. He can't afford that. He was going into only a two-fight winning streak going into the first Usyk fight, which a lot of people were specul- very, very speculative. I think that's the correct word. That he could actually pull it off against Usyk again, against Usyk the first time with only two fights coming off the Ruiz loss. Lennox Lewis, if I'm not mistaken... He had three years between those losses, and he had several fights before he went in and fought all of Oliver McCall. Did not fight Oliver McCall immediately after losing. Obviously, when he lost to Hasim Rahman, he had already learned from his mistakes, and he managed to beat Hasim Rahman immediately. But when he lost to Oliver McCall the first time, he had four fights in between. Miss Leon Butler stopped in the fifth, looked very gun-shy. Against Justin Fortin, stopped in the fourth. Against Tommy Morrison, a very boring fight. And then against Ray Mercer. That was his fourth fight before he fought Oliver McCall. When you fought Ray Mercer, he took lots of shots in that fight. A lot of people thought he lost to Ray Mercer. But that's not the point that I'm trying to get to right now. He regained his confidence in his chin in that fight. Then he went in against Oliver McCall nine months after he beat Ray Mercer. He only had one fight in 96. Looking, at, looking back at it, he had... Three fights in 95. He fought Oliver McCall. Was dominating the fight. Oliver McCall seemed to be messed up in the head in that fight. Refused to fight back. Then he fought Henry Akinwande. A very disgusting and ugly fight to watch. Henry Akinwande was disqualified for refusing to fight. Then he had, in my opinion, the best performance of his career. Andrew Gallardo coming off back-to-back disqualification losses against Riddick Bowl. Both fights where he was up big. I think he dropped Riddick Bowl in both of, of the fights. And Lennox Lewis against a, a fighter who was deemed as to be in the 50-50 fight, Andrew Gulala. He goes in there and destroys Andrew Gulala in 90 seconds. It's highly impressive. Absolutely bamboozled Andrew Gulala. And he went on to beat Shane Briggs, to beat Maviraj, to, to beat Evander Holyfield twice. I know not know if he wants, but anyone who's watched both fights knows beat him twice. Then to knock out Michael Grant, who a guy who was very, very deemed very high by the media, managed to drop him three times in the opening round, and then knock him out in the second. Knock out Franks both in two rounds. Shout out David Tua from Pro to Post. Then he got knocked out by Hasim Rahman. Got back up. Beat Hasim Rahman in the rematch. Beat Mike Tyson. Beat Vitale Kutko retired. You see what I'm saying? You see what I'm going to go on about this? You need time. Lennox Lewis, when you give himself time... A breathing room between the first Oliver McCall fight and the second Oliver McCall fight. It served his character better. Anthony Joshua is going in immediately against Andrew Ruiz. Now he's going in immediately against Andrew Ruiz. You know why? Because he has a horrible team around him. His team is only a money-grabbing team. Eddie Hearn only looks about the financials about fights. He knows how to make his fighters weak, but he will never overpay. He will never take risks. He said that himself. He said he'll never... But even when Philip Hergovich couldn't get an opponent, he never overpaid any opponent. He never did that. Where it's common practice for promoters to do that. They overpay for a fight. If you see this guy's talented enough to capture a heavyweight championship, they would overpay for a fight for him because they know he's good enough to capture a championship later on. 
Eddie Hearn is not about that. That's why he's been risking Anthony Joshua's career time and time again. And he's going to continue to do this. And he, he being Anthony Joshua, signed his career completely to Eddie Hearn. Signed a lifetime contract, which was completely stupid, in my opinion. In my humble opinion. Obviously, I'm not the multimillionaire. I'm not the one that's made hundreds of millions of dollars like Anthony Joshua. Financially speaking, Eddie Hearn took care of his career very well. Not financially speaking. In boxing terms, Eddie Hearn has fucked his career up. I'm just being straight up about it. Eddie Hearn took a guy who had the potential to be an all-time great, the greatest of the era, and made him with the pack. If you know what I mean. He didn't separate him from the pack. That's, that should be the correct term. He did not separate Anthony Joshua from the pack. Tyson Fury is being separated from the pack. And many people, especially Anthony Joshua fans, will quote, will say that Tyson Fury has not faced as many t- top talents as Anthony Joshua. But what Tyson Fury fans will hit back at them. But Fury has two wins better than anything Joshua has ever done. The Klitschko fight and the second Wilder fight. Both times he faced a guy who was seen to be the number one in the heavyweight division. Anthony Joshua has yet to do that. He faced them both, dominated them both. The Ring Magazine had Wilder at one. A lot of people had Wilder at one, especially after Fury. Had a horrible performance against Wallin. Joshua got lost against Ruiz. I know he regained it, but he was behind those two. And then Wilder destroyed Luis Ortiz. And Dominic Brazil. Wilder had the momentum going to the second fight. It seemed like Wilder was destined to win, especially since uh, what's it called? Tyson Fury dumped his trainer mid-training camp into the into the Wilder rematch. So a lot of people thought. Wilder is going to beat Fury. Fury. I predicted Fury to win by knockout. Late. He won mid-rounds. Which I was shocked. I did not think he would be that dominant. I thought he would win. But not that dominant. And. Uh, Eddie Hearn did not separate Anthony Joshua from the pact. Just my point of view. I think he's always rushed Anthony Joshua. I think Anthony Joshua should have never taken the Andrews rematch. Even if he had to take a three year hiatus from world level boxing. Go fight your Gary Cornishes. Go fight your Derek Chisars, your Dominic Brazils, your Carlos Takeams. Go fight those level of fighters. Regain your confidence. Work on new shit. And then get back in the ring. It seems like he's been terrified of punishment in the Ruiz fight, in the pull-up fight, and in the Usyk fight. Like the Ruiz rematch, pull-up fight, Usyk first fight. Let's hope he's recovered mentally completely. So... Uh, Gilberto Ramirez, known as Zerdo Ramirez, has called out Olanga Makabu, WBC Cruiserweight Champion of the World. Olanga Makabu coming off a horrendous, controversial decision over Thabiso Machuno in the rematch. I thought Machuno won that fight 9-3. Clearly. Just my humble opinion. So let me read you the Box 16 article where they quote... Gilberto Ramirez, despite winning the WBA light heavyweight world title near the last December to become the mandatory challenger for WBA champion Dimitri Bivol, 43 and old Gilberto Zerdo Ramirez is winning for a crack at the gold. Rather than the sit away or fight meaningless tune up, Ramirez is fully prepared to move up in weight once again, this time challenge WBC cruiserweight champion Olanga Jr. Makabu, who holds a record of 29 wins, 2 losses. 25 wins coming by way of knockout. 
Quote, I'm always ready to take on anyone. Unquote, Ramirez said. Quote, I was hoping to take the Bibble fight, but he took another route. It's definitely disappointing, but I'm glad he was rewarded with Canelo. He's a good guy and definitely has a chance to change his life forever. Now, moving forward, as always, I'm open to fighting anyone from light heavyweight to heavyweight. And why not start with Cruiserweight? Golden Boy did mention Makubo to me, and if he has the balls to face me, I will snatch that WBC title from him with ease. Despite the weight difference, I would outskill, outspeed, and outfight him in every aspect. End quote. Last December in San Antonio, Ramirez did his job to earn his long-awaited showdown Bivol, stopping Gunisky the monster Gonzalez in the 12th round to become Bivol's majority challenger. However, Bivol has since been allowed by the WBA to fight unified super middleweight. It says unified, but I should say undisputed. Undisputed super middleweight world champion Saul Canelo Alvarez on May 7th in Las Vegas. The other two world heavyweight champions, Arthur Betabriev and Joe Smith Jr., or part of finding a unification bout June 18th in New York City, effectively shutting out the 30-year-old Ramirez from fighting for the world title ally heavyweight until this fall at the earliest. Makabo, age 34, is the first and only native of the Democratic Republic of Congo to be world boxing champion. According to reports, ironically, was all set to fight Canal to boxing's rainmaker, shifted gears, and choose and chose Bivol. As his fight, as his opponent, Macabu captures his WBC cruiserweight crown June January 31, 2020, when he decisioned Michael Kaslik, followed by two successful title defenses against Dordola and Fabrizio Machunu, both by 12 round decisions. Both fights were controversial, to be honest. Even the fight where he got, where he picked up the WBC title, was controversial. The first Mexican to capture the World Supermarket title, Zerdo, wants to write Mexican boxing history again as the first from his country to be World Cruiserweight Champion. Rated as number 2 in the light heavyweight by both the WB and WO as well as number 4 by the IBF. Zerdo is ready to move up and add to his growing boxing legacy. So, the question is, is Zerdo legit? Does he want to face Makabu or is this just publicity stunt? Act like he is willing to move to cruiserweight and fight anyone. If you're watching this on YouTube, leave me your thoughts in the comment section below. If you're watching this on my podcast, tweet at me at Alzergani Sadiq on Twitter. And let me know your thoughts. Do you think Gilbert Ramirez is legit? And do you guys think Gilbert Ramirez could defeat Alangam Kabul? Look, Gilbert Ramirez at super middleweight when he was active, when he just came up. He seemed like a fantastic fighter. In his last two fights against Gonzalez and Barrera, I haven't been as impressed. And Makabu is a very, very limited fighter, in my opinion. Very flat-footed, has horrible balance, is strong, has power. But skill-wise, he's very limited. He's just a strong power-punching, even a small cruiserweight. So it's not out of the realm of possibility for Ramirez to win that fight, but I would not be picking Ramirez. I'd be picking Makabu to stop Ramirez in the mid-rounds. Let me know your th- thoughts. If you're watching this on YouTube in the comment section, if you're not, tweet at me at Sadiq. And let me know. Yeah, that's it for this topic. Special K Calbrook has been in rumors to face either Conor Ben or Chris Hugh Jr. in the Conor Ben fight. According to Eddie Hearn, he would like it to take place 
at Walter White what they're moving, willing to go up as high as 150. And according to Ben Shalom, regarding the Chris Eubank Jr. fight, they want that fight at 155. Eubank Jr. has said that the lowest he can come into is 158. I think Eubank could come, uh, excuse me, at lower than that. He could probably come at 156, 157. And if he tried hard enough, I think he could come in. At 155, but that's not what I'm here to talk to you guys about today. I'm here to discuss the fact that Cal Brook has told Eddie Hearn and the zone that he wants $10 million to face Conor Ben. Now, $10 million to face Conor Ben is a dollar's one, it's you, oh, what's it called? It's pounds, which is like what, 14, 50 million dollars. Now, this is the boxing scene article. Let me just run through it real quick. Eddie Hearn, promoter for Rising World, where Conor Ben has revealed that former world champion Cal Brook is requesting at least 10 million pounds for a fight with the unbeaten contender. The 24-year-old Brian will return to the ring on April 16 when he faces veteran Chris Van Herden. Last month, Brook returned to the ring to secure a one-sided stoppage win over longtime career rival Amir Khan. Off the back of that win, Hearn approached Brook with a big offer to face Ben. But the Sheffield boxer Khan's back with an even larger sum. So Hearn would then speak to Khan's handlers to want just as much money as Brook was demanding. I made an offer to Cal Brook, which was more money than he made to fight Amir Khan. He asked for $10 billion. $10 million, not $10 billion. <laughs> $10 billion is different than $10 million. He asked for $10 million, which was quite a way off what I offered, to be fair. I was like, fucking hell. Then Khan's guys came on and said, how much would you pay to fight Amir? Hearn said to the son. I gave him the same offer I gave Kel and they said surely Amir would, should get more. I said, but well, he's just lost to Kel, so everyone has gone mad. I would make either one of those fights if Amir is going to fight again. That's a really interesting setup because Khan has activated the rematch clause for Brooke. But Sky only have to do the rematch if it is commercially viable. They want, they don't want it to go elsewhere, but they don't really want to do it. Then Amir and his lawyers are saying to me, do you want to do it if Sky don't? And I'm like, not really. And he's like, oh shit, but we might do it if the deal is right. Amir, in my opinion, doesn't want it anyway. He's pretending he wants it. I do Amir against Conor Brent. I said to Conor, you're 25 in a good position. We'll see what happens after April 16th. Now, as I said earlier, if you guys are watching the podcast, as I said earlier, if you guys are on YouTube, as I said in the Joshua video, Eddie Hearn does not take risks. Financially, he's willing to risk his fighter to make money, but he will not risk money to make his fighter, if you know what I mean. Like, if he paid $10 million to either Brook or Khan, and Ben knocks him out in devastating fashion, kind of like how we knocked out Chris Algieri, Conor Ben, not just in the United Kingdom, but all over the world, his stock would rise immensely he would have a much bigger name than anyone at Walter White even Spence and Crawford and I'm not even fucking with you guys even bigger than Spence and Crawford because Conor Ben already has a name and if you could knock out a Kel Brook at 25 being Nigel Ben's son he would be a superstar he's already a star in the United Kingdom you have the opportunity to make him a superstar especially if he fights an Adrian Broner after that but instead, <sighs> Eddie Hearn chooses to be a cheap ass like he always is, refusing to overpay to make his fighter into a star. I think this fight for Hearn 
he should throw the ten million at Burke or Khan. He should just throw it. Give Khan a bit more, a bit more than what he usually makes. Tell him, look, bro, I'm not gonna give you the same money they're making, even though I think you're a huge favorite and you're you have like more potential. You're worth more to networks. But at the same time, if you win this fight, if you look good winning this fight, you will be worth eight figures from now on. They can sell it on pay-per-view. They can do it on the zone pay-per-view. It would capture the imagination. I think it was a mistake for her to go on the zone in the first place. Sky has a big market. Sky had control. But I think her just want to take that money in. That nine-figure money. That's why Joshua is yet to sign in the zone in the UK. And according to Adam Smith, he thinks Joshua is going to stay on the sky for the rest of his life. Money-wise, it's not smart to be with the zone, bro. If you're a superstar. Canelo milking that shit. They're not going to make the $160 million back for fights against Bivol, Golovkin, and John Ryder. Trust me, they're not. What the Bivol fight would sell max 400,000 pay-per-view bucks. Max. At 80 bucks a pop. That's 32 million. How much are they paying? They're paying Canelo by average 53 million per fight. In those next three fights. Say they pay Bivol 10 million. Golovkin 30. And John Ryder 5. They lose the money. So I don't know what the fuck they're doing on the zone. I really don't. And even Devin Haney, the first fight, he was about to make a money. And they said they want to enter the Australian market. And they give it to ESPN. They just don't know what the fuck they're doing, in my opinion. In my opinion. But I'm not the one that's making millions. I'm not the one that has billions. I'm not the one that has a stable like matchroom boxing. I think Eddie Hearn was a genius at Fort Sky Sports. I think right now, he's a dumbass. I think Eddie Hearn is following the footsteps of many promoters when they just come to the market... They're a pure genius, but then they peak and they go down, downhill. That's why I think I think Eddie Hearn, as Frank Warren likes to call him, even though I fucking despise hate Frank Warren, as Frank Warren calls him, I think Eddie Hearn is just an accountant. He looks at how much money he's going to make. Like Josh Warrington, I know he's a ticket seller, but the way he, he's just going about it money-wise, he's not looking about it in a super fight. He's looking at immediate money, not far away money. So I think that's his mistake. But obviously he knows better than me. He knows better than most of us. I'd like to hear your thoughts. If you're watching this on YouTube, the comment section below. And if you're watching this on the podcast, tweet at me, at Alzergani Sadiq. Give me your thoughts. Do you guys think that Eddie Hearn should pay the 10 million pounds for Kell Brook or Amir Khan to face Conor Ben? Or is he doing the smart thing? Uh, don't forget to show your support, like and subscribe if you're on YouTube, and uh, what's it called? Save, save this video, save the podcast, if you're on podcast, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Now we will discuss a topic that's been circling on Box Twitter for the past week. Who had the best undisputed run out of the last four guys? Terrence Crawford, Josh Taylor, Alexander Usyk, or the new swan, Saul Canelo Alvarez. Now, 
I already have an opinion about this, but first of all, I'm going to read out the guys they faced to come on dispute. Terrence Crawford was the first one out of those four. He faced, oh, what's his name? He faced Thomas DeLorme for the vacant WBO belt at 140. Stopped him six rounds. Then unified with Victor Postal for the WBC Ring Magazine and Lineal. Dropped him twice and won every round in that fight. It was a very boring fight, very one-sided. It was one of the most boring fights I've ever seen in my life. I still remember that. Victor Postal just couldn't get off. Then he, he unified his WBC and WO with Julius Ndongo's WBA and IBF. Knocked him out three rounds. Now looking at that. Your three fights, or let's say, from winning your the WBO until you, you became undisputed, was in a two-year span. You beat Thomas Lorme, Derry Jane, Henry Lundy, Victor Postal, John Millen Jr., Felix Diaz, and Julius Ndango. Seven fighters right there, right? Knocked out all of them, except the Victor Postal, where he went every round and dropped twice. So, poor competition... But elite methods of victory, no questionable victories. Okay? Second person to do it out of those guys was Alexander Usyk. He won his WBO title against Christoph Lauchki September 2016. Won that fight, narrowed to three on all three just scorecards. Beat the Bisa Machunu. Fought Michael Hunter. Uh, Michael Hunter won the first four rounds. Alexander Usyk won the last eight rounds and almost stopped Michael Hunter round 12. Beat former long-time reigning uh, Cruiserweight champion Marco Hook in 10 rounds, stopped him. Then had a very controversial decision. You can say controversial because he's very close against Mary Spritz. A lot of people thought it could have went either way. Then he dominated Mario Gasayev over 12 rounds. So that, from September 2016 until July 2018, he had six fights. Stopped three of them. No, stopped only two of them. My bad. Had one questionable victory. Okay? But, you could say he, he beat two A-level fighters and four B-level fighters. Terrence Crawford, let's look at him. What can you say? You can say he beat one A-level and like five B-level and one C-level fighter. So Usyk has a slightly better resume, right? Now let's look at Josh Taylor. Josh Taylor from winning his title against uh, Ivan Baranchik. He won the IBF title in May of 2019. Dropped Ivan Baranchik twice in round 6. Won that fight in round 5. On two judges' scorecards, one judge had him. Nine rounds to 3. This was in Glasgow, just to give you guys an a point of view. Then he fought with this program to unify his WBA with the IBF. That fight was a close fight, but a lot of people thought fairly clearly, even though it was close, we just probably won that fight. Because Josh Taylor, his style of fighting is I'm a maul you, I'm a wrestle with you, I'm a land shot on the inside. But barely any clean punching. 
that's how he's with Josh Flores. He's not a mid-range, long-range fighter. He's a very, very short-range fighter. I thought Rodriguez Progre won that fight. Seven rounds to five. We were watching it the other day. Watching it live, I had an 8-4 for Progre. Okay? So, but still, Progre, in my opinion, is the best opponent out of all opponents that these four fighters face. Now, let's move on. He fought Hong Kong Song in uh, September of 2020. Knocked him out in the round. Then fought Jose Ramirez. To unify all the titles. Jose Ramirez have a WBC and WBO. Josh Taylor have a WBA and IBF. Fight was close early. I thought uh, going into the sixth round, Ramirez was up a point. But then he dropped Ramirez around six, dropped him there around seven, and I had Taylor winning that fight 115 on 11, seven rounds to five for the three knockdowns. He took his foot off the gas in the last four rounds, gave Ramirez room to come back in the fight. The judges, all three judges, had at 114-112, 6 rounds, 6. A lot of people cry. They almost wrapped him. I don't see it that way. The fight had 6 clear rounds, in my opinion, for Taylor, 4 clear rounds for Ramirez. So there were 2 swing rounds. If you swing both rounds, you get 116-110 for Taylor. If you swing both rounds the other way, you get 114-112 for Ramirez. A lot of UK fans said it was 16-110. It could have been any other way. Yeah, because you scored both swing rounds. Taylor. If you score both swing rounds for Ramirez, it's 114-112. So anywhere between 114-112 and 116-110, it's fair. It's not wider. It can't be wider. It's not closer. In my opinion. So that's it. He had four fights. He beat one D-level fighter, one C-level fighter, one B-level fighter, one A-level fighter. But he beat the best out of all those fighters. An A-plus in Regis Prograde. But still... Still, in my opinion, he did not win it clearly. Now, Canelo Alvarez. I don't even have to pull up his box work. Canelo Alvarez, face Callum Smith, beat him. I had him winning 9 rounds to 3, 10 rounds to 2. Then, in his first defense against uh, Evan Yildirim, knocked him out 3 rounds. Then, against Julio Sanders, struggled a bit early, stopped him round 8. Then, against Caleb Plant, dominated Caleb Plant. I know Caleb Plant gave him some issues early in the fight. But he figured out his timing and his distance and knocked him out in round 11. So that's four fights against three undefeated fighters. He beat two, I think he beat three B-level fighters and one D-level fighter. But he beat them all clearly. Now, the two guys that faced A-level fighters did not win all their fights clearly. The two guys who want opinion, you can say Colin Smith is A-level, so let's say the two guys who faced only one A-level fighter and a bunch of lower tier fighters and Crawford and Canelo won't earn their fights. Look, I'm going to say this. If I had to pick who had the best undisputed run, I'm going to say, let me work out this way. One, Canelo, three undefeated champions, two, Usyk, three, Crawford, and fourth, Taylor, because I thought probably beat Taylor. And Taylor just lost last fight against Jack Carroll too, so he shouldn't even be undisputed champion anymore. But that's a debate for a different time. So I think one Canelo, two Usyk, three Crawford, fourth Taylor. That's my opinion. Love to hear your opinion in the comment section below. If you're watching this on YouTube, if you're watching this on podcast, tweet at me at Alzbegani Sadiq on Twitter.com, and I will respond.
Yeah, that's it. Boxer promoter Ben Shalom has said that he has offered a lucrative deal to Danny Garcia, former two-weight champion Danny Garcia, to face Special K Kelbrook. I like this fight a lot. I think they're both at the same point of their career. The fight would be at light middleweight. I don't think uh, Brooke can make welterweight healthy anymore. And Garcia is too lazy to make welterweight in my opinion. I think Garcia should have never left light welterweight from the beginning. Because he struggled at welterweight. He didn't have much power at welterweight. He was a hurting. Guys like Porter or Spence. Even the slightest. Even though he was hurting everyone. He was at 140. Destroyed Lucas Martin Matisse. And uh, I think moving up to light middleweight, he's not even gonna have they have much less power now. I think Cal Brook, his durability is the only thing that's in question. I think skill wise, he boxes circles around Dan Garcia. Cal Brook is not the type of guy that's gonna throw looping left hooks or dangerous right uppercuts. Cal Brook, his punch, his hands are very close to him, throws it within himself. His punches are never looping; they're always within his body. Always within his frame, within his stance. So it's very hard for Danny Garcia to counter him. Danny Garcia knows he's a counter puncher. He's never going to outbox Cal Brook in a million years. I think it's a very winnable fight for Danny Garcia, for Cal Brook if his eyes and chin and all that holds up. Because Danny Garcia is a good counter puncher with good timing. And he might be able to sustain the same damage Terrence Carver sustained to that one punch. But as long as he doesn't get caught by a single punch, I think it's a very winnable fight for Cal Brook. Now the question is, will Danny Garcia travel? Will Cal Brook travel? I think whoever travels has the... is probably going to win this fight due to it being like a 7-5-8-4 type fight. And I think 7-5-8-4 for Brook. So if it's 7-5-8-4 for Brook and they find the UK, they're going to give it to him 10-2-11-1. If it's 7-5-8-4 for Cal Brook and they find the US, two judges will have a 7-5 Garcia and one judge will have a 7-5 Brook. So, it just matters where they fight. In my opinion, I think... But the fans will perceive that Brook is the winner. In my opinion. I think Cal Brook is a better fighter than Dan Garcia. Overall. At 154. In my opinion. Let me know your thoughts if you're watching this on YouTube in the comment section. If you're watching this on the podcast, tweet at me at Elzergani Sadiq. So, the middleweight bully, Johnny Mack, Ali Mohanlai... Is finally going to get his title shot. He will be fighting for the vacant WBO. It says the vacant interim WBO, but should Demetrius Andrade beat Zach Parker, he will vacate the middleweight WBO, and uh, the winner of this fight will be the full WBO middleweight champion. Johnny Buck Ali Mohalani will face an unheralded opponent, a guy who I've never seen fight before, Danny Dig- Dignam. Also softball, just like Johnny Buck. Danny Dignam has a record of 14 wins, no losses, 1 draw, 8 knockouts. Rank number 25 on box rec. Looking at his box rec, I don't recognize anyone. And everyone on Twitter, a lot of UK fans, kept on critiquing this fight. They were like, yeah, Janabek is going to win whichever way he wants to win. It's a shit fight, as everyone was saying. But, never see this guy fight. I'm going to have to watch him as we close the fight. The date is May 21. Jamal Herring will be on the undercard. But this fight will be for Johnny Buck. Al-Muhanilai will finally get his title shot. Now, Johnny Buck Al-Muhanilai has already faced 
two former title holders before in Hassan Nadam Njakam and Rob Brent. Beat them both via eighth round stoppage. Dropped them both once each in the fight, one every second of that fight. And Hassan Nadam and Rob Brandt are the two most notable wins on Ryota Morales' resume. So we already got, and they're both former champions who beat Ryota Morales. So you got guys who beat Ryota Morales, who Yanni Bak, Ali Mohanalai, Yanni Bak, Yanni Bak, I apologize, I don't know how to pronounce his name correctly, has beaten two guys that have already beaten Ryota Morales. Take however you want to take it. But he has a decent resume already. And funnyly, I said on Twitter that Yanni Bak has already beaten two former champions, unlike Demetrius Andre, who's yet to beat a champion, or a former champion, or any time champion, or a future champion, or anything like that. His best twin is Liam Williams, who got the floor mopped with him against Chris Eubank Jr. Liam Williams, I mean, uh, Demetrius Andre took the much easier fight in Zach Parker over Yanni Buck on Mahana Light. And once I tweeted that Yanni Buck regarding the Demetrius Andre fight, I told him, you survived the first five rounds without taking major damage. Demetrius Andre, it's all yours. Just be... Conservative in the first five rounds. Because Demetrius Andre is a very scary fighter early. You can survive that onslaught early. He's there for the taking. He gasses out quick. By the mid to late rounds, he is completely gassed. Like by rounds seven, eight, he's gassed. He's extremely dangerous in the first five, first six. Even against Canelo. Do not be shocked if Demetrius Andre drops at Canelo early. He punches from extremely, like any, I've boxed before several times in my life. Been around boxing, boxing gyms for since I was a kid. The way he punches, it's extremely hard to defend against. He punches from weird angles, catches you off balance. He's kind of off balance himself too, but he fights in a very weird style, Demetrius Andre. And when he has his energy about him early in the fight, he's very dangerous. You get through those first five rounds, if you're an elite fighter, you can probably knock him out. That's why when he was supposed to fight Jermel, not Jermel, Jermel, the one who's fighting Castiano, Jermel Charlo, when he was supposed to fight Jermel Charlo, he was extremely excited. Then he pulled out due to financial reasons two weeks or ten days before the fight. This was, I think, when they were both champions at light middleweight. It was extremely annoying for me because I thought that that fight is going to be the ultimate awkward boxer power punching fight. They're both awkward, they're both good boxers, and they both punch really hard. I thought early Demetrius, it was all with Demetrius Andre. If he can get an early lead against Jamal Charlo, he's safe. But if Jamal Charlo could keep it competitive, not take too much damage, he's knocking out Andre in the mid-rounds. We didn't get that fight, sadly. We're not going to get Johnny Buck versus Andre. Andre is going to fight for a title again. I guess a non-champion. It's disgusting, man. It's really disgusting. How Demetrius Andres take on his career. And finally, Eddie Hearn is going to dump Demetrius Andres' ass. He said he's not re-signing him. His last fight is against Zach Parker. It's supposed to expire the, 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 like the deal they have after the Zach Parker fight. Finally, he's dumping his ass. And I, I salute Eddie Hearn for that one. Eddie, Demetrius Andres, I used to be a huge defender of his, a huge supporter of his. But he ducked Johnny Beck like he lost me for good. I'll let you your thoughts in the comment section below if you're watching this on YouTube. And if you're watching this on podcast, tweet at me at Alzudani Sadiq. Now, you're not a new way 
is going to unify his WBA and IBF titles at Bantamweight in a rematch against Lanuta Donaire. Donaire holds the WBC. This fight is scheduled to take on, take place, not take on, excuse me, in June 7, 2022. It's going to be on Tuesday, Tuesday morning US time. Should be broadcast on ESPN because, in a way, is a top ranked fighter. In a way, holds over the 22 wins, no losses, 19 knockouts. Donaire, 42 wins, 6 losses, 29 knockouts. Donaire, known for his very hard punching. Anyway, known as the monster, hard puncher, very strong fighter. At a point, he fought several fights. At a point, he had five fights where no one made it out of the third round. Really, really strong fighter, dangerous fighter, hard punching, heavy punching, explosive. All the good stuff. His first fight against Lanuta Dunier was a close fight. One judge even had it, 6 round 6. Uh, and uh, it wasn't as uh, a major decision because anyway, Drop Dunier was a close first fight. But that fight was three years ago. Donier now 39, 40 years old. Anyway, still on 28. Even he got his, uh, I think he, tear his, he tore his retina in that fight. And after he tore his retina, he outlanded Donier 83 punches to 32 punches. Anyway, he's a special fighter. I got him in my top four pound for pound. And I think he's gonna give us a special performance against Donier. Donier, a lovely character. I like Donier a lot. But I think it's it's over for him. But I could be wrong, because I thought it was over for Donier. Let me just pull up his box real quick. I thought it was over for Donier a while back. Especially after he lost to Jesse Magdaleno. I thought that was it. And I, th- I was very high on Magdaleno. I don't even know what happened to Magdaleno. I was really high on Magdaleno. I expected him to beat Nani Donier. Oh, he lost to Isaac Dagbo. Via 11th round knockout. Dagbo died in round 1. Magdaleno died in round 5. And twice in round 11. I was very high on Magdaleno. But I thought it was uh, too soon for that test. But he goes in there. I think it was on the Jesse Vargas Manny Pacquiao undercard. I think it was. And he... Beat Donier from pillar to post. Won every round, basically. Dominated Donier. Seemed like Donier couldn't even pull the trigger in that fight. Jason McDillon won that fight very comfortably. Two judges had it 8-4. One judge had it 10-2 for Magdaleno. So what fight was done there? Then we fought Carl Frampton. And lost in a very wide fight. Couldn't pull the trigger. I thought it was done again. Won a couple fights against low-tier opposition. And when he fought in a way, I didn't think he had a chance... But, he put on one of the best performances of his career. Then when he fought Ubali, I didn't think he was going to win that fight. And he knocks out Ubali, then knocks out Raymar Gabalo. Now he's fighting in a way. He did prove me wrong once again, but I just can't see it. I think uh, Donier is going to get stopped this time around and he's going to get retired. Uh, love to hear your thoughts in the comment section below. Like and subscribe and do the video. Uh, tweet at me if you're watching this on podcast. And that's it. Sadiq Boxing. Out.